In case you snuck in late, as I mentioned before, my name's Chris. I'm one of the team here at Beyond, and um, we're actually wrapping up um, a three-part series that we've been doing called Who Needs Christmas? And uh, as I said um, in, in the hosting, but if you snuck in late, you might have missed it, um, don't come back next week. Um, we hope that this is a place that you feel welcome, that you feel that if you're new to faith, or you've got questions about faith, um, or you're exploring faith, or coming back to church for the first time in a long, long time, that you can feel welcome. But don't come back because we won't be here. 4 to 6 p.m. the Griffin Christmas Carnival, and then Christmas Eve um, from 6.30 to 7.30. And actually, this is the last time on a Sunday morning that we'll come and hang out in 2019, okay? We have so many incredible leaders who give up so much of their time to actually make this a place and make this an environment that people um, can come and feel like they belong before or if they ever, ever believe. Um, And so we like to give them a break over this uh, New Year period. And so we'll be back in action on January the 5th with a brand new series called The Me I Want to Be in 2020. So that's a great one um, to come back to, to bring um, friends and family who maybe wouldn't come to church but want to set up a really great 2020. Um, We're going to talk about that. But for the last couple of weeks, um, we've been talking about, and we've been in the middle and answering one simple yet complex question. And the question is simply this, who needs Christmas? Now, if you if you um, weren't here, I would encourage you, jump on SoundCloud, jump on podcasts, listen to part one and two, because we're kind of going to be continuing where that conversation left off. But really quick Reader's Digest version, in part one of this series, we said, who needs, God, uh, who needs Christmas? We said, well, the world does. And then last week, we asked this question again, who needs Christmas? We said, well, God, God actually needed Christmas. And like I said, if that sounds odd to you, like, hang on a minute, what, God needed Christmas? Listen to the, listen to the uh, podcast that's up online. And uh, we're going to continue to wrap this series up today, and we're going to do it by, um, by asking a question that maybe you've asked, um, if you've kind of looked in and you've, or you've considered this Christmas um, story at any level. And the question's simply this, um, how did the birth of Jesus come about? Like, how did it come about? Why does it matter? Why is it important? Why is it important that a young girl was engaged to a, a Jewish chippy, and then they had a baby in the back blocks of, uh, of Nazareth, uh, in a, in a country so far removed, why does it matter? And how did it come about? Like, how, what, were the, what were the pieces that all sort of fit together? And um, there's, a, there's one biography, we actually have four biographies on the life of Jesus, but there's one in particular written by a guy called Matthew who actually answers this question. And this is how he answers this question. He begins it by talking about this. He says, this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. He begins his account. Now, <clears throat> We'll just kind of nerd out for a little bit while we start, because it'll give us a little bit of context. This word here, Messiah, is actually a Hebrew word which means Savior, right? We don't really use that word a whole lot, Messiah, but it's a Hebrew word that means Savior. And so Matthew's writing this, and he's letting us know right at the very start in chapter one of his biography that, hey, everything I'm about to tell you is written with this context in mind. Because having walked alongside and having gotten to know Jesus, the way in which he lived his life led me to believe that he was a saviour. And so you need to know from the outset that this is Matthew's agenda moving forward. And here's just a fun fact, because I think if you come to church, you should learn something, right? That the Greek translation of this word Messiah is Christ. And so many people think that like it was Mary and Joseph Christ and it was Jesus Christ, like Christ was just Jesus' last name. It wasn't. Um, Christ wasn't Jesus' last name. Christ is the Greek word Messiah. So think about that. Um, not that you ever would, cause, but if you've ever heard someone kind of say, oh my goodness, Jesus Christ, what they're really saying is Jesus the Savior. 
So this is how Jesus was born. And, um, and while we're nerding out, because we've got a little bit of momentum, we should keep nerding out, just for, more so for maybe my benefit than yours. But we should talk about names, because here's this name, Jesus. And what I'm about to tell you might ruin Christmas for you. And I don't, I don't mean it to, but it just might. Um, Jesus is actually a Latin translation of a Greek name, which is translated from a Hebrew name. And the Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means when Jesus was walking the earth, no one was like, Oi, Jesus, mate, over here. No, everyone was saying Yeshua, 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 Yeshua. And they were all referring to Jesus as Yeshua. So for those of you who are a little bit OCD, you've been pronouncing Jesus' name wrong this whole time, okay? Now, here's why this is interesting. And here's why this is kind of important for the story that we're going to move in. Um, The Hebrew language has no J. The Greek language has no J. So when people translated the name Yeshua down into English, what you get is the name Joshua. And when Matthew writes this, the, the, nation, the Israelite nation, the Jewish people, they knew another really, really famous Joshua. And the image that came to their mind when they thought of Joshua was a king, a warrior, someone who freed the people, someone who led the people out of oppression. And so straight away, Matthew kind of sets up this tone that there's a, this is how Yeshua, the Messiah, the Savior, was born. <clears throat> now that we've got some context, now that I've kind of got that nerding out off my chest, let's continue with what Matthew has to say. He says his mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, right? We all know that part. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, in this day and age, it was, um, it was really, really uncommon for someone to get pregnant when they weren't married, all right? That was just really unheard of. The reason is because by the age of 10 or 11 in that culture, you were already betrothed to be wedded to someone. For your family, had already set it up. By 12, at least, by, somewhere between the ages of 12 and 15, you were married, right? If you're a female and you weren't married by the age of 16 in this culture, something was ridiculously wrong. And everyone was asking the question, what's happening? What's up with you? Why haven't your family arranged this? Like, what's the go? And so Mary was this, was this teenager, and I just kind of like to think, you know, as I do, imagine the conversation that this teenage girl had to have with her fiancé, Joseph. Like, you could just imagine, like, Mary comes in, it's like, babe, I'm pregnant. And Joseph, like, kind of being a, a rational person, goes, who did you cheat on me with? And she's just like, no, 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 babe, don't worry about it. It wasn't, it wasn't, it was God. And, and Joseph's like, what, you cheated on me with God? Like, what, huh? How does that even work? Anyway, and you know what Joseph was thinking? He was thinking she was crazy because normal people don't get pregnant with, by, through God. Normal people don't try and convince other people that they got pregnant through God. And so this is one of the things I actually love about Joseph. Is Joseph in the midst of all of this. We find this out about Joseph that... Um, he was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Joseph's reaction, despite what he must have been feeling in the midst of it, wasn't to change his Facebook status from engaged to single and just kind of leave it out there. It wasn't to go on a, on a rant on his Instagram story and let everyone know, oh my goodness, you won't believe what Mary did to me. It wasn't to kind of give a behind-the-scenes YouTube video of kind of like, so I know you've probably heard that Mary's pregnant, and I just wanted to clear the air on how that all came up. No, Joseph has this deep, deep love for Mary. And even though culturally he should have shamed her, even though he should have um, uh, pushed her to the outer based on the cultural norms, Joseph goes, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. And so Joseph's trying to figure out a way to do this quietly 
because he loves Mary so much, even though he's realized he's kind of engaged to a crazy person at this point in time. And while he's trying to figure this out, this is what happens. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said this, Joseph, son of David, um, now, Joseph wasn't like a literal son of David, okay? There was another big figure in, in the nation of Israel, King David. Um, Joseph wasn't like King David's son, but he was like um, in the family tree. He was in the lineage. He was like related way back to David. Um, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, right? Because he was afraid. This would have been huge. He would have been freaking out like, but what will that do to her reputation? What will that do to my reputation? Like, where we live in a small town, Angel. Like, I don't know your name, but like, we live in a small town, Mr. or Mrs. Angel. And it's like, word is going to spread. People are going to know. And he was afraid. And then it goes, goes on. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Don't worry. What Mary said is true. It came from God. Now, here's, here's something... You, you need to understand before we move on or else, or else what we, the rest of what we're going to talk about, you might get sidetracked and it might not make sense to you. Um, when, when the word virgin is used in this context, okay, when the word virgin is used, no one in Israel was thinking a virgin was going to get pregnant the way that we think. Now, some of you are really smart. Some of you have read your Bible a whole heap and you're like, Chris, Chris, isn't there something like way back in the Old Testament that says like a virgin will get pregnant and she'll give birth to a son? There is. But the word that's used in Hebrew primarily does not mean virgin the way that we would understand it. It means teenager. It means young lady. It means young woman. It means someone who's engaged to be married. So the, Jew, the, nation, the Jewish nation was not expecting a virgin to, to be born. What they were expecting was a man and a woman were going to give, have a baby and he, that baby was going to be the Messiah. That baby was going to be the Savior. Now, why this is important is it doesn't help Matthew's case to add it into his biography. In fact, Matthew has to do more explaining to add it into his biography than he does if he would have left it out. Which leads me to believe and leads me to conclude that the only logical reason for Matthew to include this note in here is because it happened. Now, in case you kind of like push back against that, right? Because I get that. Here's what I want you to know as we move forward. That people in the first century, the earliest followers of Jesus, did not follow Jesus because of the virgin birth, right? They followed Jesus because he died and then rose again, right? No one was standing around when Jesus kind of died and rose again, saying to themselves, well, like if this whole dying and rising again thing is awesome, but the reason we can really follow Jesus is because he was born of a virgin. Remember that. Like, no one was saying that. So, back to Matthew. This is what he says. And the angel said, and he will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus Yeshua. And straight away, Joseph's mind starts to race. Because he's thinking to himself, like, oh, I, I, know, I, know, I know Joshua. I know Yeshua. Like, I, I, know, I know how this story is going to play out. And then the angel continues. For he will save his people from... And Joseph's probably thinking at the moment because at this point in time, the nation of Israel is once again being oppressed. They're under Roman occupation and straight away he's thinking he's going to save us from Rome. He's going to save us from all the troubles that we're in the midst of. He's going to free us again. And the angel says, for he will save his people from their sins. And I could just imagine that in the middle of that dream, Joseph will be like, huh? What? Hang, hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Angel, angel. I, I get like, 
that, that the Messiah is going to save us from our sins, but that's, that's not really a felt need right now. Okay, like if I was to gather everyone, all the Jewish people around, and we were to have a vote, and I was to be like, hey, guys, girls, what do we need saving from? Sins wouldn't be anywhere near the top of the list. It'd be right down here somewhere. They'd say, we need saving from Rome. We need saving from oppression. Like, we need saving, uh, we need saving from a whole lot of things, but sin is not on the list. And in fact, I could almost imagine, like Joseph, because I just like to think of these random things, I could imagine Joseph kind of going, hey, angel, have you heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Like, have you seen how that thing, I don't know if you've, if you've got it in, um, in, uh, in heaven, but it's a dream, so Joseph could kind of go, here's my PowerPoint presentation, here's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Okay, right down the bottom, we need food, water, warmth, and rest. Okay, our physiological, we need those taken care of. Then after we've got that taken care of, what we look for is security and safety. And then after that, intimate relationships and friendships. And then after that, the prestige of feeling accomplishment, so some esteem needs. And once all that's in place, Angel, then we can get to the self-actualization stuff. You know, the Jewish self-help stuff, the Jewish podcast stuff, the you-can-be-everything-you-want-to-be stuff, the achieving one's full potential, including creative activities. You know what I don't see on there, Angel? Sin. It's not on there. In fact, here's the thing. We don't really need your help with sin, right? Because we've got this thing called the temple. We've got this thing called the temple, and we actually have a way to get rid of and to deal with every single sin imaginable, Right, we go and we sacrifice animals and we pay money and we do a whole lot of different things to get rid of our sin. It's not on the chart. We don't need it. Now, of course, Joseph didn't actually do that, right? right Joseph didn't actually do that because, and I've, I've never seen an angel, um, but I could imagine that if an angel appeared, appeared to me in a dream, what I would do is be very quiet and listen. And in fact, if you're kind of, new to faith or you're kind of unsure about it, perhaps one of the reasons that you kind of push back against the whole God thing is because you've heard Christians come up and say something like this, well, God told me, or God said to me, and you were like, oh, okay, like, cool. And then like five minutes later, or a week later, or a month later, or six months later, all of a sudden what God had told that individual had changed miraculously, or no, well, God kind of got it wrong, and God really wasn't sure, and, and you're sitting there kind of like as a person new to faith, and you're thinking to yourself like, if God spoke to me, first of all, that would answer a whole lot of questions straight away. But if God spoke to me, I think I'd probably be inclined to do what he said. And so Christians, like while we're on this tangent, just listen up really closely. Be very, very careful attributing God's name to something. Because every single time in the collection of documents called the Bible that God spoke no one ever said, I think it was God. Maybe it was God. Perhaps God told me to. No one ever did that. Because when God speaks, he does not stutter. So it's okay for you to think, but don't go attributing that to God. Anyway, rant over. Back to Matthew. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Now, let's, let's be honest, right? In this Christmas story, some of us, we can kind of feel a little bit like the first century people that Matthew was kind of writing this biography for. We can look at that and we can kind of hear, oh, well, Jesus, hey, you know, that's, that's all well and good, like he came to, to save us from our sins, but it, it's not really a felt need. Like, in fact, if you were to kind of, kind of go, God, here's a list of all the things I need saving from, for you, 
sin probably wouldn't be at the top of the list. There'd be a whole lot of other things like my mortgage, my finance, my boss, okay? Like I need a whole lot of help with a whole lot of other things, God, and sin. Is, it's just not really a felt need. And one of the reasons that, that this doesn't fill us with more awe, one of the reasons that we don't get emotional when we hear the Christmas story is because for so many of us, what we hear is this, that she will have a son and you want to name him Jesus Yeshua, for he will forgive his people from their sins. And when we hear this, forgive his people from their sins, what often happens is we reduce Christmas to forgiveness. And for some of you, that's been your only experience with Jesus. That's been your only experience with Christianity. You know, nobody's perfect, but God forgives. Or nobody's perfect, but God forgives. Nobody's perfect, but God, God forgives. Oh, it's all right. You mess up, but God will forgive. Oh, you, you mess up relationally, God will forgive. You mess up, um, you mess up with your children, you mess up with your spouse, you, know, you mess up with your finances, but don't worry, God will forgive. And when we reduce Christmas to forgiveness... I think we miss out on the most powerful part of Christmas. Because see, the angel didn't say to Joseph, he will forgive. What the angel says is, he will save his people from their sins. That's something completely different. And we get this, the most, I think one of the most powerful glimpses we get into what this means is actually in the life of Jesus. And it's in the life of Jesus where these religious leaders, and we don't know how, but they know that this one particular woman is having an affair. And instead of choosing the male and the woman to single out, they just choose the woman. And they drag her through the streets of town half naked. She's probably kind of trying to cover herself with the, with the bedcloth. And they drag her through the streets of town into the temple where all these sacrifices were being made to God and they throw her at the feet of Jesus. And 30 meters away, people are making all these sacrifices to God for their sins. And the religious leaders throw this woman at Jesus' feet and they ask him this question. They say, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And Jesus, he's so great, right? He's so great because he calls their bluff. He says, and, and the reason he calls their bluff is because he knows they're not going to stone her in the temple. First of all, you couldn't stone her, okay? That wasn't a thing. Um, but secondly, like, you couldn't stone someone in the temple, Jesus kind of calls their bluff. He says, well, if you want to do it, that's fine. But take her out of the temple, take her down the hill into the valley of Gehenna and stone her there. But he, here's my caveat. Whoever, whoever hasn't sinned, you've got to be the one to do it. You've got to be the one to throw the first stone. Everyone else can jump on board, but, but you first. And then what begins to happen is everyone's stones begin to drop and everyone begins to slink away. And Jesus kind of asks this woman who's still on the ground, probably um, not paying attention, she's probably just in a state of shock. He goes, well, where is everyone? She goes, well, well they're not here. And, and I guess they don't condemn me. And then Jesus says these two things next. One that's really popular in church world and, and one that we kind of glaze over. Jesus bends down, gets eyeball to eyeball with her. And he says this, he says, neither do I. Which is so powerful because there's, 30 meters away, there's sacrifices being made to God to forgive people from their sins. And Jesus says, you don't need to go over there. You don't need to engage in that because I am God in a body and I forgive you. And then he says the bit that we often skip over. He says this, he says, now go and sin no more. And for a lot of us, the question would just be like, is, is that even possible? 
Like, is, is that a thing that we can do? Like, like how would that work? Because for so many of us, when we think about forgiveness, we kind of think like, well, forgiveness kind of brings me back to zero. Forgiveness kind of gets me squared away, and then I kind of get to go again. But what Jesus is talking about here is, it's bigger than forgiveness. It's like a brand new way, a whole new way of living. And someone who lived years after Jesus, a guy called Paul, he puts this so well. He kind of explains what this new way of living is like. He says this, he says, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. And the way he kind of describes it is super helpful, right? Because he sort of makes sin a character. He makes sin a character in our lives. And he sort of says, hey, hey, guys, sin is that thing when you're kind of like, I know I shouldn't. Sin's that thing that's like, do it. Sin's that thing that when it's kind of like, I know I shouldn't make that comment. Sin's that thing that's like, say it. And you kind of like don't know where it comes from and you don't know why it's there, but you kind of know it's a character and you know it's at play in your life. Paul says, you don't have to make it more complicated than that. That's literally what it is. And then at the end, he kind of continues this and talks about it and talks about this character, but he summarizes it so well. This is how he summarizes it. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is not forgiveness, it's eternal life, a brand new way of life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And, and even if you wouldn't consider yourself a Jesus follower or a church person, I think you can resonate with what Paul is saying. Because really what Paul is saying is simply this, is that sin kills things. And, and you don't have to be a Christian to know that, right? Because for some of you, you, you've seen this at work in your life. For some of you, you've seen sin kill marriages. For some of you, you've seen sin kill the relationship that you have with your spouse or with your children or or with your in-laws or with your parents. For some of you, you've seen sin or a lack of self-control destroy your finances. You've seen your, your greed and your need for more stuff put you in debt. For some of you, you actually struggle to look in the mirror because sin has destroyed the way in which you look at yourself and the way in which you view yourself. Sin kills things. That's not just a Christian thing, that's just a thing. And here's here's what I don't want you to miss about Christmas, is that even forgiven sins kill things. Right, just when you get back to zero, doesn't mean uh, that something hasn't died. And and you see this, you see this so often in relationships. The best one, uh, the best example I can think of is when trust is broken or eroded in a relationship. Sure, you can say to that person, hey, I forgive you. But at the moment that that trust was broken, something died. Maybe your respect for that person died a little bit. Maybe the relationship as you knew it died a little bit. Maybe the path forward kind of changed and so one kind of possible future died a little bit because even forgiven sins kill things. And this is the power of Christmas. This is the power of Christmas because Christmas is a standing invitation for every single person, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your current situations, regardless of the trajectory that your current situations are catapulting you into the future. Christmas is a standing invitation to step into a brand new way of living, to step into what Jesus would call freedom. A freedom from that character that tries to control you and tries to master you. And so, 
we, we have things here at Beyond, we call it a Form Monday, which is really just the application of everything that we've talked about. And so this Christmas, as we finish, the big Form Monday that I just have for you is just step into freedom. Step into that freedom. Know that you don't, you don't have to wait until Christmas to step into it. You don't have to wait until you feel like you've got everything squared away to step into it. But, but you can actually step into it now. You can step into it if you've been a Christian your whole life and you just kind of think like, oh, forgiven, 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 but you've never really stepped into the freedom that God has for you. You can step into this freedom if you're kind of brand new to faith and you're kind of like, I've got questions. I'm not sure what this whole thing looks like, but I know that I don't want to keep living my life this way. I know I don't want to be controlled and allow that sin to kill things. So, who needs Christmas? Well, the world did. Who needs Christmas? God did. Because God needed to demonstrate His love for us. And who needs Christmas? Well, anyone who wants to step into freedom. And anyone who wants to live a life of freedom. And my hope for you, this Christmas, is that you would want to step into that freedom. So I'd love to pray for us right now as the band come back up. And if you want to step into that freedom, as, as I pray, there'll be a little part where you can just pray the prayer that I pray between you and God. But let's pray together right now. Jesus, we thank you for the way in which you stepped into history. The way in which you came not just to forgive, but you actually came to save. That you actually came to bring us freedom from the sin that tries to control us, to bring us freedom from the things in our life that kill things. And you actually say, hey, there's a new way. There's a better way if you'll just step into it where you don't have to be mastered by the things that master you. And Lord, if there's, there's anyone here today who kind of wants to step into that freedom, that I just encourage them to, to pray this prayer. Just, they don't have to say it out loud, but just, you can just say it. Um, you can just say it in your mind, just between you and God, or in your heart. Lord, thank you for the freedom that your death won for me. Help me to step into that and to not allow sin to be my master. Help me to follow your way, the way of freedom. Let me pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.